believe it or not, we are already starting to schedule and confirm our dates and locations for 2024 Precision events. That means full training camps, mini camps, weekend workshops, clinics, you name it, we're booking them. So if you are interested in hosting one of our unique and extremely effective events, check out the show notes for the 2024 Precision Events bid and bring in world-class coaches and athlete education and experience to your gym. You can learn more at precisionchoreo.com. That's precision, C-H-O-R-E-O.com. A lot of my friends, when they look me up, I never talk about my gymnastics career. So when they look me up and they, and they kind of see their credentials, you know, they ask me about it all the time and, and I don't talk about it very much. And so I figured, why not? You know, one time let's, let's talk about it. I'll be able to let them listen to it. I think my, yeah. you know, my family would really enjoy doing it. So, um, so, you know, I, I decided to do it. Hello, happy Tuesday, and welcome to a full episode of What Makes You Think, the show that flips the traditional interview format. Mm, I don't know if flip is really accurate, but it's gymnastics, so I kind of got to go with obvious. But the show where you find out the personalities behind the personas of some of your favorite figures in gymnastics. And not only is today's guest one of my favorite figures in gymnastics, he comes from my favorite era of gymnastics. Yes, the early 90s. You guys all know it, and I think a lot of you love it, too. I am your host, Nicole Langevin, and my guest today is Mr. Scott Keswick, who is a 92 Olympian, a U.S. national champion, an NCAA champion, competed in multiple world championships, and apparently has not really talked about his gymnastics career since it ended in 96. I'm so honored that he decided to come on the show because there was definitely some resistance, which you'll hear us talk about. So let's get into it with what makes Scott Keswick think. Okay, I am here with the Lord of the Rings himself. <laughs> How many times have you heard that, Scott? Uh, until uh, I saw you a, a few months ago, it had been a long time, but uh, but it is interesting that that was always a funny nickname. Uh, I, I never really embraced it because I never won world championships or the Olympics on rings. I mean, I obviously did very well in the U.S. I you know I, I did win USA championships four times, but. But I never considered myself Lord of the Rings. That was Yuri Kecky, you know, in my day, the the Italian gymnast. Well, um, but, Scott but Keswick, was, you, you can be. You, we can still use it today, though, right? Are you good with that? Sure. <laughs> and I think getting a ten kind of validates that name. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. You know, the the funny thing is that that uh, weekend was uh, a couple of competitions. I, th- I think I got the ten at the American Cup, and then. Uh, either the next day or a couple of days later, we had a mixed pairs competition and, uh, and Shannon and I were, were paired up. And I think I actually did a better routine at mixed pairs than I did at the American cup. And I got a really? nine five at mixed pair. So, you know, whenever it's a subjective sport and you have judges, yeah. you know, and, and I was always hypercritical of myself, you know, I, I saw something in there that I wouldn't have given that one a 10, but mm-hmm. I think I might've at mixed pairs. So it's kind of interesting. That is interesting. And I, so, well, now I'm really excited to watch videos with you because just because of that right there. It's going to be an interesting conversation. And Scott, uh, before we get too far into this, I just want to clarify, do you and I have a pre-existing relationship before this interview? We do not. I met you for the first time a few months ago in uh, San Jose. Uh, US yep. Championships were there and, uh, and you know, just hanging out with some of my old, uh, my old buddies and, and we met and uh, you, you pitched the idea of doing it. And I think I was a, a little resistant at first, but uh, yeah, you were. Yeah. It, it took a little <laughs> convincing. It's been a long time since I've, uh, I've really talked about gymnastics. And uh, so, it, you know, 
thought it would be fun. Got got a chance to to listen to a, a couple of your podcasts and and see the format and and so you know, I just thought I'd give it a shot. And you know, I think the primary reason to do it is a lot of my friends when they look me up, I never talk about you know, my gymnastics career. So when they look me up and they, and they kind of see their credentials, they you know they ask me about it all the time, and and I don't talk about it very much. And so I figured. Why not? You know, one time let's let's talk about it. I'll be able to let them listen to it. I think my yeah. you know my family would really enjoy doing it. So um, so you know, I, I decided to do it. So, is this a humbleness thing that you don't talk about it, or is this uh maybe there's some negativity connected and you just don't want to talk about it? I, I think more the former. Yeah, I, I did have a tough finish, and and I'm sure we'll get into that. You know, in, in terms of ending my career, I think that was mm-hmm. difficult, but. Even when I competed and, and it was, you know, an active part of my life, I never really talked about it that much. I was always fairly quiet, fairly reserved, mm-hmm. you know, was not braggadocious. You know, when when I see some of the current athletes and and you know, just having so much confidence and bravado and and you know, very clearly stating how good they are, that was just never in my nature. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was always a little bit more reserved. And so yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, part of my nature not not to really do that. Yeah. And you didn't have, you weren't in the social media age either. I mean, could you imagine that? No, fortunately. Yeah. It, I, you know, I, the, the people that are competing now, it's a whole different environment. And and I really credit them for embracing that aspect of it and embracing the performance part of it. Yeah. Yep. And I was not very good at that. I, I, I think I would have had to have really adapted, you know, my own personality to this current environment, you know, for yeah. me the competitions weren't fun. It wasn't about entertainment. You know, it was mm-hmm. about competing. And and I had a very, very focused approach to it. And I, I listened to John's podcast, uh, John Roethlisberger, and I think he was similar. It, it was about, you know, what do I need to do to have my best performance? And, and I was very much uh, of that mindset where I was ultra focused, didn't talk to many people, didn't really embrace the crowd and, you know, embrace that entertainment aspect. I mean, people are there to watch and and yeah. I was just super focused on the competition Business. part of it. So, yeah, yeah. so th- this current environment is so great. I mean, watching people cheer for each other and having the ability to do that and then focus when they needed to. I, I wish I had a little bit more of that in me when I competed. What about when you were at UCLA? Was it was the vibe any different? Um, a, a little bit. I mean, there was a team aspect and, and you know, you would cheer for, for your teammates when they were competing. But for me, once it got to... Um, maybe two or three guys before I had to go up, I broke off from that. You know, I, then I started focusing, visualizing my routine, getting away, you know, from that part of it and, and really had to, you know, for, for me, the, the greatest thing I could do is, is perform for my team. And, and so that, that kind of trumped cheering for them. You know, the, mm-hmm. the first couple guys up, especially later, you know, later in my career when I was typically, you know, fifth or sixth, you know, I'd watch the first couple guys and then I would focus on what I needed to do. Yeah. Do you think any of that has to do with the training that you had? I mean, you were basically on your own as far as being at the elite level, being on the junior national team. You didn't have other guys around you. You didn't have that camaraderie. So do you think that plays into maybe why that was not necessarily your bag? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, that, that was it was definitely a challenge, you know, going to those competitions and, and being the only, you know, the only one for my club. Um but I was always quiet. I mean, the the you know the person you met you know in San Jose, I, I was very different when I was young. I was very shy. Um, uh, didn't really you know just focused on my own thing. Um, you know, had a kind of a small core group of friends, but but really it just wasn't that social. And 
And so I, I think it was my personality as much as anything. Um, that, that was just the way I was. And as I've gotten older, I've become much, much more social and, and interested in, in that. So I, I, I don't think I can totally blame it on that. I think it, a lot of it was just me. Yeah. That's not the most, uh, it, it's an individual sport anyway. But, yeah. and speaking of San Jose, I just have to share with the listeners, you looked so surprised that I would even want to speak to you. Yeah. And I don't think, I, I just want you to know, you were such a huge figure in gymnastics for the the time that you were there. You were, a, I, I feel like you were a big star. I feel like you had a really incredible career. I feel like you were a trailblazer in a lot of ways. And it just shocked me that you were so shocked that, you know, somebody would want to interview you. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I... It, it just feels like so long ago, you know, for me. And, and when people wait, find did you out just call you, me old? Did you just call me old? No, I called myself old. <laughs> <laughs> You're much younger than I am, but uh, mm. um, and this happens, you know. Uh, my friends will do this to me. You know, we'll be out golfing, and and one of them will tell the starter, "Oh, he's an Olympian," and and I get this sort of sense of, uh, why, you know, why did you do that? I certainly wasn't an Olympian in golf, and my golf game's not reflective of right. that. But, <laughs> but they'll they'll talk about it and. My my comment is always, oh, that was a lifetime ago, and and that's how I feel. You know, in 1992, so you know, we're talking about over 30 years ago, mm -hmm. um, and so just uh, you know, I recognize that at that time, you know, I certainly was one of the top gymnasts, and people that um, you know paid attention to the sport knew who I was. But after you know 1995, you know, I've been out of that spotlight for a long, long time. I haven't really been around gymnastics that much. I, I've certainly changed. I, I had a lot more hair back then. And uh, <laughs> um, so for for you to recognize me, first of all, and, and you know, uh, understand that there's an audience that, you know, talking to me would still be interesting after 30 oh, yeah. years, you know, that, that's where that came from. Yeah. And I, it was interesting when you were telling me the episodes that you listened to, John, Lance, Sandy, that's, that's that era. And from from looking at download numbers, that is obviously uh, to me obviously the era that my listeners are really really into. So that that early '90s you know time of gymnastics. Uh, so I think that you've got a great audience that is super excited to hear more about you. All right, so you know that we're going to get into some videos in a little bit, but unfortunately because it was so long ago i can't really pull up much more before 91 so i wanted to talk to you about your career prior to what we're about to look at so you know you shared with me that you had some tough injuries as a teenager before you really hit your stride but i want to go even before that and gymnastics is not the most popular sport for guys it wasn't then it isn't now i i hope that it becomes more popular so why gymnastics how did that start yeah, it was really uh, luck, you know, luck and, cir and circumstance. I, um, my dad was in the Air Force when, when I was young. And so, we, you know, we moved fairly regularly. And um, when I was six, uh, we were stationed in Tehran, Iran. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the relations between, you know, our countries was very different back then. Um, you know, clearly, you know, we had a you know, military presence over there. And, uh, and so I was six and an active child and I played baseball. And uh, one of the things that... Um, was offered in the summer was a trampoline class. And so oh. my parents signed me up for that trampoline class. I took to it right away. They, I think they moved me to the advanced class, like on, on day two or something like that. And, uh, and it was really their recommendation uh, that when we get back to the US that my parents consider gymnastics. Otherwise, I, I really don't think I ever would have 
uh, tried it. I mean, I played baseball, I played soccer, I played the, you know, what I'll call the typical sports. Yeah. Um, you know, on, on the, on the weekends, yeah, you know, I lived, you know, with other military families and, you know, I'd leave the house on Saturday morning and, and we'd go play baseball all day or football or, you know, whatever the sport was uh, of the season. And, and I loved them all. I just love to play games and compete. And, and if it wasn't for that, I, I don't think we ever would have pursued gymnastics. So, you know, I, I continue to play baseball and soccer uh, and did gymnastics from the time I was, I was seven, I think when I started until 12. And, and it wasn't until I made the junior national team when I was 12, that I actually gave up the other sports. So I was playing baseball three days a week, doing gymnastics three days a week. And then when it was soccer season, you know, I play soccer and, and gymnastics. And you then I made the junior gym- national team at 12. Yeah. So they had uh back then it was, it was different. They had um, age groups. So it was 10 to 12 was one group and then 13, 14. And it wasn't really even a competition. You'd go and there were skills you had to perform. Testing. So yeah. it was almost like, you know, compulsory skills. Mm-hmm. And so they test you based on that. And uh, first time I tried was, was when I was 12, uh, had no idea that I was at that level. I mean, I knew I was good in relation to the other gymnasts in my club. Okay. But Las Vegas wasn't exactly a, a hotbed of gymnastics. So I had mm-hmm. no frame of reference of, of other uh, gymnasts throughout the country. And so I think I qualified, you know, fourth in the 10 to 12 group, uh, made junior national team. And, you know, they kind of sat me down at the end and said, well, you know, look, every everyone here is training five days a week. You know, if if you want to really consider this, you you probably have to give up the other sports. And mm-hmm. and I struggle with that. I, I really enjoyed, you know, the variety and and doing the other sports. And, and I think the fact that gymnastics had six events, you know, that that gave mm-hmm. me the variety that I was looking for. And, and, and that's when I, you know, I quit. So at, at 12, I, I started focusing on gymnastics. But, yeah. you know, if it wasn't for that trampoline class, it never would have happened. That's cool. So you went to five days a week. I did. All in. And up until then, you thought the stuff that you were doing in the gym was just normal? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, had no frame of reference at all. Yep. You know, I, I I would, you know, compete in Nevada, uh, Arizona. My my coach, you know, Dusty Ritter at the time, he had a good friend, Mike Nador. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people of this era know Mike Nador. Mm-hmm. You know, his son was was an Olympian. Um, they were very good friends. So we would, you know, compete in Arizona quite a bit. They would come, uh, you know, to Nevada. We'd go to California a little bit, but I had no understanding of, you know, nationally what level people were at. Yeah. So once that shift happened where you realized like, oh, shit, I'm actually really good at this and this is going to take a lot. And did did anything change mindset wise from a pressure standpoint? No, not really. It's it's interesting. I never really understood what level I was until I was there. Yep. So I didn't realize I could compete at the junior national team level until I I tried and then I I actually qualified. Mm-hmm. And same thing. You know, I was a good junior. Uh, struggled with in, you know injuries. Fifteen and sixteen broke my leg. You know, ripped both the growth plates apart in my wrist the next year. Didn't get to compete for a couple of years and. Were you doing anything cool when that happened? Because usually when gymnasts get injured, they're like, yeah, I was moving a mat or conditioning. No, the the ankle was a double back, just double back on floor. And I think I was 15 at the time. And I just opened up a little bit early and and landed a little bit short. You know, didn't realize I did it. Uh, Actually got up and and it wasn't until I took a step that that I realized. And the bone has sort of cracked halfway through. And when I stepped it, it bowed out. So that's when I felt that one. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, kind of went through the, the whole casting process, got better. And then, you know, 
it's really hard for, for young gymnasts, you know, we're growing, you know, we're growing, we're getting so strong physically and, and my bones couldn't really keep up with, you know, the kind of the, the muscular, you know, kind of activity going on. And so I, yeah. I, I ripped both growth plates apart, had to cast both wrists sort of, well, they, they said, we'll give you a choice. You can cast them both at the same time and, and you'll be out of it quicker, or you can cast one and then the other. And there's some downsides to having two casts at the same time. So I went one Ooh. after the other. So, yeah. Yeah. So that took me out of it for a while, but, yeah. and I kind of lost a frame of reference again for, you know, how, how far behind did I fall? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then, you know, I, fortunately I, I ended up, you know, class one back at the time, you know, did mm-hmm. really well at 17 was really looking forward to college, but I never really understood, um, how good I was until I could do it. Oh yeah. I'm junior national team, but those senior guys, they're really good, you know? And mm-hmm. you know, so it wasn't until I made the senior national team that I realized that. And then, you know, get, getting to Indianapolis, that was a total shock to me. You know, I, I if you think back to 1990, I was mm-hmm. fifth in the all around at USA championships, 1991, I was sixth in the all around. So sixth in the U S and then the world championships came and I was 10th in the world. So that jump was unexpected. And, mm-hmm. and so you know, your original question was about pressure. I didn't really have pressure on myself because I didn't really understand I was there until I was there. So it's kind of interesting. That is interesting. And you're talking about uh, Indianapolis. You're referring to 91 World Championships. Correct. And you have actually said that that was the breakout competition for you. So, so then what? So then you find yourself seated in this place amongst the best gymnasts in the entire world. What does that do to your mindset? Yeah, it was um, unexpected. It was it was fun. I mean, that, in that environment. And so, you know, back at the time, it was the Hoosier Dome, you know, which I don't think is there anymore. So Indianapolis, you know, uh, home country, you know, friends and family there, mm-hmm. uh, familiar equipment, which uh, oh. it certainly helps. Um, yeah. And, and just kind of, you know, being thrown in that spotlight. I, I you know, I was just hoping ultra focused on the team, you know, trying to win a team medal, which, you know, we, we fell a little bit short there, but, you know, focused on that and, um, you know, thought I had a chance of making all around, but, but again, just a few months earlier, I was six in the all around at at USA championship. So, so just qualifying for individual all around would have been a stretch for me, um, Mm -hmm. let alone, you know, kind of, you know, top American gymnast, uh, 10th in the world, just totally unexpected. You know, it was kind of, beyond my own expectations of myself. So when when that happened, did Barcelona start seeming like a, a potential reality? Yeah, I I, I started when did to realize when did yeah, no, I, I started to realize that was a, a possibility in 1990, probably, you know, I was yep. fifth then and and you know back back in the day, it was all around. So you had six yeah. all arounders, top six at USA championships made the world championship team, top six at Olympic trials, made it. So it was very cut and dry what I had to do. You know, I had to be in the top six. And and I felt like I could do that probably as early as 89, 90. You know, 89, nice. I thought I had a chance. 90, I really knew. Um, and then, you know, clearly the world championship, that that changed the mindset. You know, now yeah. it became a a different focus and you know, just leading into, you know, what all this work, you know, work has, has been for. Making that team was, you know, was... Uh, always a goal, kind of a stretch goal. Um, but yeah. now it was, it was a, a realistic goal. 
And, you know, I joked at the beginning calling you the Lord of the Rings because you are very synonymous with rings, mm. but you are not a one-trick pony by any means. I think at one point you were doing one of the hardest vaults that anybody was doing. Uh, might be one of the videos that we have as well. Oh, wow. So, and but you also just mentioned that back then it was all around. So my question is, if you were competing under the way that it is now where you can specialize, what would you have dropped and what would you have focused on? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know that I would have dropped anything, but I would have changed my focus a little bit. And the reason I say that is, is I was you know very competitive in rings and high bar in particular. Mm -hmm. um, vault was pretty good, but but I never made a major competition final. You know, I, mm -hmm. I wasn't quite there, but certainly rings and high bar. I felt like parallel bars. You know, those were probably my three uh, strongest. And what I would have changed is. I was terrible at pommel horse. I mean, I, I just was. What what made me good at rings uh, contributed to me not being good at pommel horse. I have a long torso. I have short arms. So rings is great when your arms are short, when you have a long torso and short arms and, and you're not super flexible in your shoulders. Yeah. Pommel horse is really difficult. You know, my, my yeah. clearance above the pommels and above the horse uh, was always a struggle for me. And I spent so much time trying to get better at pommel horse. I would have um, thought about that. And in hindsight, you know, would it have been better to accept a certain level of competency there and focus more on rings and high bar and parallel bars? Right. I spent twice as much time on palm horse as any other event. And I just, I got to the point where I went from being bad to being okay. But I think that time spent, you know, could, could have maybe taken me to the next level, you know, at, at the other, uh, at yeah. the other events. I mean, I was, you know, I was fourth, fourth, uh, at, uh, Indianapolis world championships, fourth on high bar, uh, eighth in Birmingham, I think rings, I was, you know, typically about six or seven, you know, in the mm -hmm. world. So I, I think I would have shifted my focus and, and focused on my strong events a little bit more than trying to improve my clearing right. event. Yeah. So speaking of current gymnastics, did you catch men at this most recent worlds? Did you catch? I did. I, I did. I, I went on Saturday and, and, uh, it, it was fun. I had a pretty clean, you know, break, you know, when I retired from, from gymnastics it, you know, I, I don't follow it that closely, but whenever it's in town, I certainly, you know, enjoy watching it. If I catch it on TV, I do, but I had to actually watch the Thursday competition on TV Saturday morning, just to know who the players were, you know, that they're so good. And, and, you know, just doing such difficult skills, you know, this, this age of, optionals only with new scoring. It's very different than what I did. You know, we, we were still back in the compulsory optional era, you know, 10, 10 scoring versus, you know, what, what you have now. So it, it was, it was really fun to watch and, you know, uh, got to see a lot of really good gymnastics. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting stuff. I was, I was jealous of the vaulting table, by the way. <laughs> I, oh I wish my gosh, we had right? that when I competed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that comes up a lot. I mean, I, I've never had it either. I was always on the the old one, but yeah, I mean, the fact that your Chenko entry vaults on the women's side, at least, Agreed. You, not even every elite did them because it was so freaking crazy. And now it's level sixes are doing timers in competition. It's like a standard thing that you do. And it's, it's cool. I mean, it's obviously a lot safer, but geez, man, oh, man, can't believe that was the standard back then. <laughs> I, I can't either. And, and, you know, who thought, oh, we'll turn it this way for women and this way for men and, you know, slap some pommels on it and we can make another event for the men. It, it's just, you know, clearly whoever thought of that, you know, they weren't doing the types of skills that people eventually ended up doing on the old vaults. I mean, for, mm -hmm. for, for women, I, I can't imagine the consistency you had to have to 
you know, round off entry and, you know, from a distance perspective, hit that. And even from the men's side, you know, being straight enough to do yeah, it. You know, yeah, that, that, exactly. I, I couldn't even do a perfectly straight round off back handspring on floor, let alone try and do a Yurchenko. You know, we, we had a, you know, a couple of gymnasts in our gym that, that could do it. I, I never tried it. I was always, you know, front, front entry. Yeah. You valued your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to get it in some videos? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a minute and tell you about a new service that we are offering through Precision, the Visiting Clinicians Program. So here's what happened. Over the last few years, I've had a lot of coaches coming to me and asking, hey, do you have a temp coach while we look for a new coach? Because everybody's looking for coaches. And I've always felt like, yes, we can give you a temp coach, but I feel like there's more of an opportunity here. My philosophy is that as we're developing gymnasts, we should be developing coaches. If you had a kid in your program who stayed in level two for seven years without ever increasing their skill set, you'd probably take a look at yourself and go, what are we doing wrong? Well, if you have coaches in your gym that have been there for years and years and still have not increased their skill set, well, you see where I'm going with this, right? Great coaches need to be developed. So instead of looking for the next great coach to come through your door, create them yourselves. So with our visiting clinician program, a clinician will come run practice at your gym, educate your coaches, and then follow up in between visits over Zoom to ensure that your coaching staff is continuing to develop. This arrangement lasts for an entire season and you can have up to three different clinicians visiting with multiple options for frequency of visits. Every level and any aspect of gymnastics can be covered. And in the success that we've had so far, I can guarantee that your staff will have increased their skill set from the beginning of the season to the end, and your athletes will find improvement, which will keep them motivated to continue to learn. If you're interested in this program, shoot an email over to Precision Choreo, that's P-R-E-C-I-S-I-O-N, Choreo, C-H-O-R-E-O, at gmail.com. The holidays are right around the corner and we're all starting to think about the perfect gifts to give our friends and loved ones. As we all know, gymnasts love to flip around the gym, but sometimes it's just not enough for them. So give the gift of movement to the gymnast in your life with the help of TumbleTrack. TumbleTrack has a wide selection of equipment that is safe to use at home. Junior bars, floor bars, laser beams, practice mats, and so much more. The team over at TumbleTrack puts a huge emphasis on training safe, and training smart. Check out their social media or YouTube channel where they post training tips and fun drills and exercises demonstrating how to use their equipment safely. And don't forget to check out their website, T-U-M-B-L-T-R-A-K.com. All right. Are you ready to get it in some videos? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Can you see this? I can. <laughs> <laughs> Hands in grips on rings. Here we go. So we're in 92 at the, what was the McDonald's American Cup. Yeah. And you can, you can already see, you know, a little bit more swing than, than typical for me. That was pretty good there. Little, you know, I, I would have taken half a tenth there. Definitely good dismount though. Yeah, it, it was good. You know, for, for me, that was, that was, you know, nine, 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 five. That was like I think, a standard routine for you. Yeah, that, you know, that, that routine. Yeah. Pretty consistent there. You know, a couple little kind of checks that that you know weren't there at the mixed pairs uh, again yeah. I, I would have probably given this one you know maybe nine 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 five yep. uh, mixed pairs I, I would have given that one a 10. so where is the skill i i'm terrible with men's gymnastics terminology but there is a skill right no you're gonna do it i think it's you're coming right it. here i make up my own names for stuff but that thing that thing 
That looks so fun. How hard is that to do? You know, it tucked, it's not so hard. I I, I tried to do it piked. It, it's much harder that way. And what is it called so that people that actually know will know what we're talking about? Oh, gosh. Now, <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> I, I I don't remember, but... Uh, okay. Well, it's like yeah, basically doing it, a Doing it out of the giant. inverted cross, you know, added a, a little bit of, you know, extra, okay. you know, not coming from you know, a full handstand, you know, you have to generate a little bit more speed, but uh, okay. yeah, I, I learned that one relatively easily. It's just, you know, trying to make sure you, you know, you get back up to the handstand without a lot of, you know, wobbling, you know, was, was sort it's of the, the trick flipping, for that one. But the flipping part that looks so fun. So basically it's, do you call them giants on rings? Like what's the equivalent of a giant? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's, it's just a giant. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a front giant. And then as you're coming around prior to handstand, yeah, it, you kind of do a double front. A, Double front holding onto the rings. Yeah. yeah. So so you're holding onto the rings, you know, double front and then, you know, back up to a handstand. I think towards the end of my career, I think I did two in a row. So you do, you know, double front, double front, and then back so up fun. And, and connecting skills. You know, you could do that. And and that kind of played in. I did a similar skill on parallel bars, you know, double front, you recatch on parallel bars. So that was sort of a trend. And um, I I was a better flipper than twister. I could, yeah. I could flip with the best of them. I, you know, I, I could flip pretty quick. Um, twisting my air sense wasn't as good as someone like Lance, mm -hmm. uh, Steve McCain, you know, in my gym made the nine, six Olympic team. Those guys were like cats. They, they could flip and twist and, and know exactly where they were. I was better at flipping. Uh, yeah. you know, I tended to twist a little early. So you'll, you'll notice on floor, if you follow my career, I, I didn't do much twisting, you know, I didn't do full and back out. It was double layout. You know, I I, yep. I mostly stayed straight. All right. There's another move. I've talked about this on the show before, but that I call it's on high bar and I call it the pant flapper. Pant and flapper. it looks just as fun as that thing that we just talked about on rings. I think it's a talk half. I was talking to Justin about this yesterday. I think it's a talk half. You like think you're coming over forward and then you just kind of like fly over the bar and turn around and catch it. But oh, yeah. Your pants flap in the wind because you're not right. flipping yeah, or anything. I, you're just like bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah, I never, I never did that one. Yeah, it looks, it looks fun. It just looks like you're playing, but I know that it's probably extremely, extremely hard. And there's a sense of weightlessness probably in that. Yeah, yeah. Over just a, a sense of weightlessness that that's, that's uh, that would be fun. That's what it is. That's why those things look fun. Exactly. All right, here we are, 1992 Olympic trials, high bar, and uh, how was this? What was the feel? What was the vibe of this competition? It's a big one. Yeah, more this stressful was, than the Olympics, right? Uh, it was. This was the biggest competition in my life, without question. Um, the most pressure I ever felt, and and probably the best I ever performed. Uh, to be honest, um, you know, pressure. You know, you can kind of channel pressure. It, it gives you energy, and and I was able to really you know control it uh, at the time. And, and the reason I say it's the the biggest competition is if you have a bad competition, Olympic trials, you don't go to the Olympics. You know, um, doesn't really matter. You know. Once I was at the Olympics, um, I was always very realistic about, you know, where I was, you know, me, I was close to the best I ever did was ninth, you know, in the world. I knew I wasn't going to win, you know, a, a gold medal in the all around at the Olympics that, so, you know, I could maybe be, you know, top 10, you know, was the goal, but, but Olympic trials, that, that was it. I mean, that was, that was such a fun, um, feeling, uh, of, of accomplishment and, and, I, I had so much confidence, you know, even though that was the the most pressure I'd ever felt coming out of USA championships, I was really confident going into that competition. And, 
and um, you know, just was was really happy with my performance there. You know, probably one of my strongest performances. Even though I I, I did water down high bar, I didn't do the Kovacs there, but uh, but but I didn't need it. I, I had a decent size lead, and you know, it's just a matter of you know finishing the competition strong. Yeah, the uh, commentators let us know that that was taken out. I think Trent took his out too. Yeah, I had done the Kovacs for the first time in Indianapolis at the World Championships, you know, did really well, you know, made made a, uh, you know, high bar finals, you know, put it back in for the Olympics and and unfortunately it, it didn't go well that I, I missed that in, in all around finals. And, you know, it dropped me from, you know, probably being top 10 to 19th, you know, at, at the Olympics. Uh, it, was, it was the, you know, the one time in the all around I, I missed that skill. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in in the all around, but yeah, the Olympic trials it was was amazing. And where did you, I don't know if you remember this, but where did high bar fall in your order of events that day? That was last, so you it was can, last. You, can okay. you can see the sense of relief on my face. It was that's it was why almost I asked like you. <laughs> all right, you know, that's over. You know, it was it was kind of a muted you know celebration. It was it was a uh, kind of a sense of relief and happiness. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was it was fun finishing on high bar too. It was it was uh it, it was a great competition. I probably you know had had my strongest competition there. And that's where you do it, and followed by literally the next competition. It's going to be Barcelona. We're gonna put you on rings. Are you comfortable with that? Sure. Yeah. All right. So this is team optionals because this was when we had the lovely compulsories and optionals. And this is you on rings, 92. Yeah. Um, What's going on? Felt really comfortable, you know, with this routine. Rings, it, it was by far my most consistent event. Just felt really good about this this routine. It didn't really matter, you know, where in the world. You know, rings were all very consistent in terms of the feel of them. And I just felt, you know, good about, you know, the, this routine. Uh, you know, double twisting, double back. You know, a little step there. Um that was very much kind of par for the course. When when I would go into competitions, you know, Palma Horse was always, you know, uh, yeah, we'll yeah. we'll see how that one turns out. You know, depending on the equipment, vault could either be a great event for me or, you know, I, I tended to struggle a little bit more with vault internationally, but rings was that that was my go-to event. You know, I kind of yeah. talked about you know, mixed pairs is, you know, three events. Well, what three events do you do? Rings, high bar, and parallel bars. You know, those yeah. were those yeah. were the go tos, and and I never really you know stressed about rings, which was nice. It was nice having an event like that where I just you know I, I knew I could do it you know every time. Oh, that must be a nice feeling. I feel like pommel horse is like beam for women. It, like, it is. Yeah, like, I mean, stay on. <laughs> stay on. Exactly. Yeah, a low clearance. It, it didn't yeah. take much for me to you know struggle on pommel horse. So that, oh, that was yeah. that was always a, an ultra focus of mine trying to trying to get that a little bit better to to. You know, make myself feel a little more comfortable going into competitions. Yeah. yeah. But it's not fair. You're not built for it. You shouldn't know how to do it. That's my opinion. <laughs> but the weird thing about watching Pommel too is, and I'm sure you have an, a very different eye than I do, but to most people, like when people fall off Pommels, it looks like they just stop. There's, it's not like beam where there's a wobble or you see that they're crooked. It's just kind of, you're just off like in the blink of an eye. That's yeah. It's it, so frustrating. You know, yeah. It's a balanced thing. And, and, you know, that the, the grip on the pommel horse uh, on the pommels themselves and and the speed you know if you get your shoulders leaning a little bit too much and and you've got to do some intricate hand movements it it doesn't take much to go down it, it's so quick um yeah. and you know i was always a little bit surprised you know when i fell but but not you know i knew it was my worst event but right. it's amazing how little it would take to to you know either just 
flat out fall, your, your shoulders are just in the wrong space or, yeah. or you just hit it and you lose all your momentum and then, you know, then it's just a struggle. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a build for these guys that excel in pommel. I mean, you can, you can see it. Definitely. And none of them are good at rings. <laughs> <laughs> Except right. for a jo Jordan Jolchev, a Bulgarian gymnast, oh he was amazing. He had long arms and he was still good at rings. That 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 guy, he somehow figured out how to be good at both. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit more about this this ninety two Olympics. And you said something very simple, but I thought very poignant after the team. I think it was team finals. It was a tough time to have a bad day. Yes. Do you remember saying that? No, but. Um, yeah, it brings back memories. That that was um, that was a really bad day. Um, so you guys know I usually like to leave a little cliffhanger there for excitement's sake, but I actually ended it where I did today for a slightly different reason. As you heard Scott mention at the beginning of the interview, discussing his gymnastics career is not necessarily his comfort zone, and I cannot thank him enough and express how honored I am that he trusted me to finally do that. And the place where we left off was probably one of the hardest parts to talk about, which was the experience in Barcelona where things didn't go exactly according to plan. And because I know how difficult this was for Scott to say, but also I hope very healing, I wanted to give it its own time and its own space and its own attention. So we will pick up with that next week. And while there were some difficult emotions to work through, there's also some real bright spots coming up in the next part of this interview as well. So... Make sure to come back here next Tuesday to hear part two of what makes Scott Keswick think. We will continue to deep dive into the highs and the lows of his reflections on his competitive career. And remember, if you haven't already, go over to youtube.com forward slash what makes you think podcast and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I promise you, you will want to binge the gymnastics conversations playlist. And also you can check out a playlist for each guest who's been on the show. So you can see the videos that we're talking about. And you'll notice that there are playlists for guests who have not been on the show. You know what that means? It means they're probably going to be on the show. So there you have it. Find out what's coming up. I'll see you guys next week. Till then. I don't know. Bye. <laughs>